Well, hello there, and welcome back to Unmasked. My name is Alex, and I'm your host. If this is your first time with us, please take a sec to go back and check out some of the other guests that we've had. We've had some absolutely incredible stories on here, and I think you might enjoy it. It would also mean the absolute world to me if you can go ahead and share one of these episodes with a friend of yours that you think might enjoy it. The support does not ever go unnoticed, and we really appreciate it. Today, we have a man that goes by the name of Wolf. Wolf, originally from Spain, is a finance expert and serial investor. His journey to coming to America is extremely unique, and he's come a very long way from it. So, without further ado, I bring to you Wolf. I've been. I've been. I've been unmasked. 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 So, do you go by Wolf? Yes. Wolf, Wolf is my, my middle name. Wolf is your middle name. Yes, sir. That's a hell of a middle name. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I uh, the way that I got that name because it's so I was born and raised in Spain, and we don't we don't have middle names over there. We just have two last names, which is the, the dad's last name plus the mom's last name. Okay. So when I first moved to the United States, everybody has uh, middle names, and you know I got into sales very early, and you know because of that, um, you know Wolf of Wall Street was getting very popular mm. at the time, and you know I. You could say I started to emulate a lot of the sales strategies that he had. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? If I'm gonna once I became a citizen, I kind of adopted that name as my legal name, like Wolf as my middle my middle name legally. Uh, but yeah, ever since I started being in, into sales, I kind of just had that Wolf of Wall Street kind of just identity, I guess. So is Jordan Belfort kind of like an icon for you then? Absolutely, man. Look, we can <laughs> we can talk about his uh, the morals and ethics about what he did, you know. And uh, never, I never want to be the guy to condone what he did. But one of the things that we cannot deny is the guy knows how to sell. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you know, I read his book, The Way of the Wolf, and you obviously watched the movies and just put everything into practice. And you know, gotta gotta give the man credit where it's due. So he's a he's a hell of a salesman, you mm-hmm. know. Especially after watching that debate that he had with uh, Grant Cardone, mm-hmm. he kind of demonstrated that he was the better salesman, you know. So I just, yeah, I uh, I take a lot from from Jordan Belfort, you know, yeah. like as far as like his his sales tactics and how to negotiate and stuff. He's he's one of the best in my opinion. That that is one of the things that I did also take away from the movie. Um, obviously. Moralistically, he might not have been completely. Obviously, like now he's a completely different guy. Absolutely, he, he recognizes where he went wrong and stuff. But even in like the way that Leo, I don't know how much realistically Leo portrayed him. I mean, obviously it wasn't too bad. I haven't heard anything that Jordan said in any, any interview. Yeah, well, he said he said that it, that in real life it was a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, so that was probably even not not nowhere near as bad. And I've I've seen some sales guys that you look at them and you're like. What the yeah. fuck are you talking about, bro? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. Sales sales sometimes like I know sales in general kind of gets a bad rap sheet, especially yep. depending on who it is. Um a lot of them like it depends how far you're willing to take it, of how manipulative you're willing to be, of mm-hmm. how much, but in reality it's a psychology game. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you know th- th- when I started my career in sales, I, I kind of was that guy, you know, where I was like you know, it, it was very like pushy and 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 very like bait and switchy type of type of sale. Mm-hmm. And as I continued to progress into my industry and my career, I started to really evolve, and I started to really take care of my clients in a in a different way. You know, I didn't want to be remembered as a sleazy sales guy. Right. You know, so I think at the end of the day, 
the way that I approach uh, all of my clients is just want to make sure that everything that I do, I do it like it's it's in their benefit first, right? You know, and then if I can benefit from it, obviously because of the sale, then at the end of the day, that's a that's a win for me as well too. So, but yeah, that is one of the biggest like evolutions I've seen in sales, at least in the last like decade or so, because I know that like especially with things like car sales, yeah, that used to be about just get them in the car, get them off the lot, and you're good to go. But then the dealership started realizing like most of our highest profits are from return customers. If mm-hmm. you can't make them return, you don't have business. Exactly. It's one thing to sell for, to them one time, but it's a whole other thing to be able to continuously sell to them. And so it went from just like selling them a lemon, selling them just like the shittiest car on the lot just to get yep. them in something to like actually creating a relationship. Absolutely. Like, in sales, I noticed like decades ago, it wasn't about a relationship. It was just about like, let's get you in something and get you out of my face. Now it's people have relationships with their clients, and that's one of the biggest things. And that's one of the things that I respect about sales now. It's, yeah, it's less about sleaziness and more about like your return customer. I've sure. had one customer for the last ten years he comes to me every time he needs it. Yep. I'd rather have that guy than have fifty people who never return to me again. Yep. So. Absolutely. No, I, I 100% agree with you. And without it, and look, there, there are a lot of people that, that still that do sales that are very sleazy yeah. to this day still. But I think the industry is kind of starting to shift, you know, because uh, with the amount of content that's out there about sales, I think people are starting to pick up on some of the strategies and some of the, the not so morally or ethically inclined yeah. tactics. So I think it, it's it's becoming a... Like you have to adapt to that, you know. Yeah. I, I'm currently dealing with an issue with a, uh, with with a dealer that that pretty much fucked us, you know. With he sold us pretty much lemons. Mm. Uh, he didn't deliver the title on time, and and we lost a lot of money with that stuff. So it's going through litigation, and I'm and I'm pretty sure he's probably not going to be able to to have his dealer license anymore. But wow, that's what happens, you know. When you don't when you don't do right by people, like it ends up biting you in the ass. What originally made you? decide that sales was your career that's a great question honestly i didn't even plan to be in sales my dad my dad had a logistics business back in spain made a lot of money with it and i just i pretty much i just saw him uh be a business owner a successful business owner for you know my entire childhood Mm -hmm. and i just knew i wanted to be a business owner right i wanted to own a business i wanted to you know wear suits and all that kind of stuff but i never knew um, one of the things I didn't know about being a business owner is that every business has a sales aspect to it. I don't okay. care what it is, you know, like it, it doesn't matter what type of business you have, whether it's a service, whether it's some sort of retail product, like there's not a business in this world that doesn't have some sort of sale attached to it, right? Yeah. Because again, in order for you to be able to make money, you got to take the money from somebody else that's willing to pay for it. Right. Right. So, and that's something that it didn't click to me until I got a little bit older and I came to the United States. And, you know, I started to find out, I started to realize that I was really good at sales or, or that I wanted sales to be my career because I found, out, I found out very quickly that at a regular job, you are limited and you're kind of capped on how much money you can make. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's pretty much like that, that glass ceiling mm-hmm. that you can't ever just really get past that. You know, it doesn't matter. You could become a manager or whatever. And matter of fact, once you become a manager, that's even worse because you're not getting paid hourly anymore yeah. now you're only getting paid salary which means that most likely you will spend a lot more time into the business 
of somebody else's business and then you're only getting a salary right so for me i figured i was like look i know that i if i can get better at sales and sell like higher ticket I guess pro- uh, projects, objects, whatever you want to call it. Like I, higher, t- if I can get into higher ticket sales, mm-hmm. I can make a lot more money for the same amount of work. Mm. You know, so that's why I figured I was like, look, I, I, I'm a very ambitious person, so I know, I knew very early on when I when I started in finance that I was like, okay, I just if I want to really be able to make millions of dollars, I have to be able to sell either a lot of things to have a smaller ticket price, or right. I have to sell a few things with higher ticket. That's why I knew I could control. I can control my paycheck at that point. What was the first high ticket um, thing that you were able to kind of get your hands on and kind of make a successful business out of? Yeah. So honestly, financial services. You know, like life insurance is my business. You know, wealth management, uh, financial strategies. Like that's that's my bread and butter. You know, okay. and I get paid very well, uh, as well as commercial lending. Um, you know, which is something we do also as well. So, but the first ever, my first ever ten thousand dollar week was by by selling life insurance. Week, yeah. Holy shit! I made I made ten k, and uh, it was like my, I think it was my third month in the business. You know, and that's kind of how how the name Wolf started. By the way, like it's it's a story I tell everybody when they ask me that. But the reason why I was called the Wolf of Spain it was simply just because. First, first week, right after I got licensed, I made 4500 bucks. That was my first week. And then after that, I, I kind of stayed as a top producer. And then we went to New Mexico. And then in five days, I made 10K. You know, so when I come back, there was a lot of recognition and, you know, yada, yada, yada. I got on stage. It was like a, a little office, and I started doing the, you know. <laughs> the whole math McConaughey thing. Yes, exactly. You know, okay. so that's, that's kind of how I got it. Yeah. But that was my first, like, big ticket. You know, I was like, I made. $10,000 in a week. I couldn't fucking believe it. I was like, holy shit. You know, this is insane. You know, that means that if I just worked a little bit harder, maybe like sold a, like a bigger policy that I could, I could do it, you know. And then after that, I just, uh, I got closed an annuity and I made about, I think it was like 15000 on that one uh, a few years later after that. And then every year I just started getting like bigger tickets, you know. And then when I got into commercial lending, it's just, disgusting amount yeah a disgusting amount per deal yeah because we get paid a percentage um for the size of the loan right you know so that's that's why it's a it's it's a lot better that way <laughs> you know that was that that's the biggest ticket that, I'm, that i got right now so growing up in spain mm-hmm. what was your relationship to money well that's that's an interesting question nobody's ever asked me that in spain I grew up in Spain and I didn't really understand money because so I kind of had a silver spoon hmm. fed to me. So my again, my dad had a very successful business. We would try, we would literally vacation three, four times a year. Uh, my dad drove like the you know the nicest BMWs. Uh, I was in private school, you know, like I had the whole nine, right? So I was kind of spoiled in the beginning, and then I never really understood the value of money until um, it was like six months before I left Spain, which okay. was found out my dad, you know, had a had an affair. And, and that was after my mom and my little brother already moved to the United States. And from there, kind of like my dad decided, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to wash my hands. I'm not going to like be part of the family anymore. And I was still in Spain. I was like 16 at the time. So I kind of went, I, I went homeless 
for a bit, which it was the most humbling experience I've ever had in my life, you know, because I went from living in a very big house, mm-hmm. you know, like being drove, dro- driven around with like the nicest cars and just literally could have everything I wanted. Uh, we traveled all the time. I was bragging to everybody of how, you know, how much money we had and, you know, how we, you know, we had all, all these things, right? And, and by no means we were just like millionaires. We were just kind of like high middle class. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like compared to everybody that, that went to my school, you know, I was, I was like the rich kid. Right. So, you know, from going from that to literally having nothing, to having to sleep, literally sleep in park benches and just different um, atriums, I guess. So in Spain, I don't know if you know how Barcelona is laid out, but it's like a, it's like a grid. You know, so most people live in apartment complexes that are literally like blocks. Of, right. I guess like a block of buildings, right? So right. and then, but under those blocks of buildings, there's like businesses and there's like lobbies that you can walk in and stuff like that. So a lot of homeless people will like sleep like in that like little lobby before you actually get into the building because you can open it without any key. Okay. And, same, and banks kind of work the same way too because so everything here in Phoenix is so big, right? And mm-hmm. in, in Barcelona specifically, it's so condensed and it's like a grid, mm-hmm. right? Like very tiny grid. So even banks would also be under apartments. You know what I'm saying? So again, a lot of the banks too and the ATMs would not be outside. Mm. It would be inside. Interesting. You okay. know, so a lot of the times the ATM, the ATM, areas were open so that's where like, a lot of homeless people you would catch them sleeping there so i went from sleep from like i said having a very lavish lifestyle to sleeping in park benches uh bus stops those little lobby areas for banks and uh apartments and stuff and i, I did a lot of couch hopping as well too so here and there so i was not homeless for the full six months i was kind of like intermittent here and there because my aunt also bought a flat in uh in barcelona as well too so because where i lived was about an hour away drive Okay. Right. So sometimes, and again, my family couldn't know of any of this, you know. <laughs> I I called someone, I guess. <laughs> um. So, forgot what I was. Oh yeah. So my my aunt bought a flat in uh, in Barcelona, and where I live was about an hour drive away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my family couldn't find out about any of this stuff because. You know, my, my mom and my little brother already moved to the United States, so I didn't want to worry them. So I was kind of like, hey, you know, like, I'll just, I'll suck it up, you know. Um, so that's why from that from that point on, I was kind of just like in and out of like, you know, couch surfing mm-hmm. to just sleeping in park benches and stuff. So I never really understood the, the value of money until that point. Yeah, because that's when I started to actually have to hustle to be mm-hmm. able to, to eat. You know, because I couldn't afford to just dry, like get back home because I didn't have a home. Right. You know, until my aunt would come every other weekend to Barcelona, I would stay with her for about a week, and then it would go back to the same thing. So I had to figure it out how to hustle and just kind of how to get into the streets and how to really get into that stuff. So that's when I really started to understand is like the value of money. Like if you have somebody that's just kind of like feeding you, mm-hmm. right? Like with like dripping like little dollars or whatever just to be able to sustain your lifestyle, you're 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 on payroll still. Right. Like you're on your parents' payroll. So that's why I had to like figure out how to understand that, you know? And you were living this lifestyle because you just didn't want to have anything to do with your dad? Yeah, well, my dad was gone. Oh. You know, so okay. like my dad would travel for work, you know? And uh, so, yeah, so he just like one day he just didn't pick me up from school. Yeah. And it was kind of weird. I was like, I tried calling. His phone went straight to voicemail. So I was like, all right. And at that point, it's like, I don't know why it just didn't really hit me that hard, mm-hmm. but I was like, whatever, I got friends, I'll just, you know, stay with them. You know what I'm saying? I had a lot of friends that were uh, like squatters, yeah. you know, 
So I guess I didn't really, I guess it didn't really matter to me that much that my dad didn't pick me up. I kind of was like, all right, cool. I, I get to spend more time with my friends. Yeah, you know, I did. I have, a, I had like a like a pretty shitty influence uh, in Barcelona, but you know they were good people. It's just you know bad situation. How old were you in this time of homelessness? I was sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. Sixteen. Do you think that had a bigger psychological effect on you than you might kind of anticipate? Dude, absolutely. I think, I mean, now looking back, you know, I always compare it to, like, people in my family, right? Like, my little brother and stuff. Like, he's, <clears throat> my little brother is, like, everything to me. So I just always think about it as, like, man, like, I don't know if, if he could go through that stuff, you know? Because, you know, what I, what I, I think that what I went through wasn't, like, the craziest experience, but it was still pretty fucked up. Right. You know, so I think the the biggest psychological effect that I had is like, you know, why why does my dad not love me enough to just come pick me up? Right. You know, so that was the biggest thing. And and, and also I understood is like uh, because I cared so much about my mom and I knew the type of person that she was and my grandma, too, and everybody was in, in the United States. And I knew that if they found out that I was homeless and they were there mm-hmm. like 2000 miles apart, like. It, they could get like a heart attack because they're Persians, you know, so they're very like family o- oriented. So it's right. like everybody has to be safe. You know what I'm saying? So like even to this day, my grandma still like worries that I'm going to catch a cold even though we're in Arizona, you know, <laughs> it just doesn't mean I like take a jacket with you or whatever, you know, yeah. so that's the type of people they are. So at an early age, I figured I was like, man, like I have to figure it out. You know, I have to figure out like how do I take care of my family without them having to worry about me? You know, so I had to figure it out very early. It's like, okay, my dad's not at the picture anymore. So something has to change in me because I was super spoiled. Like, I was that, that, that spoiled kid that I was like, if I want something, I'm going to get it. You yeah. know, I'm going to cry about it enough to fucking, fucking right. get it. And, and that changed very quickly, man. So I, I'm very grateful for that, to be honest. And, and it, it kind of sounds weird, right? But uh, I don't want to, I'm not going to say that I completely healed from, you know, my dad abandoning us and all that. Uh, but because it still affects the way that I live sometimes. But I'm also not oblivious to the fact that it needed to happen. You know, the, to yeah. become the person that I am today, that needed to happen. You know, and if it didn't have happened, if it wouldn't have happened, who knows? Dude, I would probably be just maybe doing hardcore drugs and fucking just would have killed myself. So I don't know. Yeah. No, I got you. I'm kind of curious more on this journey because obviously the man sitting here with me today is not that homeless kid couch hopping and all that what age was it that you arrived in america i was uh a month before my birthday so i was still 16 okay. so it was six months so it january january 5th or january 13th no january 5th of 2013 that's when my mom and my little brother came here okay and then a week after that is when all this shit started going down okay and then you know at that point like so I, I got very involved with it, with the squatters, with the Antifa, anarchists. Like, I even had a full-on Mohawk. And I was just, like, even getting into riots with the police in Spain. And <laughs> I was a completely different person, dude. Dang. So when my aunt, like, the only thing I did have that my dad didn't ever, like, stop was just my phone service. You know, so I still had I still had my phone. I was still able to connect to the Internet and stuff. So my aunt would call me on uh, on Facebook Messenger or Skype, actually. And she would tell me, hey, like, for the for the summer, just come over to the United States. Just spend the summer with us, and maybe you can stay. And yeah. at the point, I was just such a rebel kid. I was like, nah, fuck this. Like, uh, fuck the U.S. Like, capitalism is bad. Like, communism is the best thing. And, <laughs> you know, 
that's what I like. I was brainwashed into believing that because because it was the crowd that I was around. Right. And it's funny because like, you know, after I graduated high school, uh, in Spain, I came to the United States, you know, for a vacation. And it, the dumbest thing I could have done is not take all my stuff mm. from Spain because I left everything in Spain mm. because I I thought it's like I'm coming back. Yeah. You know, and I should have I should have like. I should have taken everything with me, you know, because like then I, I came here. I did not want to leave. <laughs> you know, I, I, as soon as I got to the United States, I was I, I saw how great California was, the weather, the women, everything. You know, I was like, fuck it. I'm not leaving. You yeah. know, so I ended up staying. Did you just leave everything in yeah. Barcelona and just say just yeah. start over? Yeah, because think, think about it. So my dad still had his like the house that I grew up in. Yeah. All my stuff was there. OK. You know, so and my aunt and uncle from Spain, they still live there, you know, so. Right. I could have still got some of my stuff back because again my dad would pop back out every once in a while gotcha. you know and i would stay with him at my house you know every once in a while and my relationship with my dad was very very weird at that point hmm. because again he just he left me he came back like nothing happened right and he would leave again it, it was just a, it was the most awkward relationship but i didn't care because i was a rebel you know i was like this antifa fucking anarchist you know, so but yeah, all my other stuff was there. Like I, I left a lot of clothes in my house. I left a lot of uh, like my laptop was there, my PlayStation too. Like all that kind of stuff that I grew up with was over there. You know, so and I wish I would have just at least taken some stuff with me there. Honestly, though, I feel like kind of starting over fresh is sometimes the best thing. Like even if you have like, I've kind of done that before, to where I just left ninety yeah. percent of my stuff somewhere, and I'm like. I'm just going to donate all of this. I had to kind of start over. And doing that kind of helped refresh my mindset a little bit. Kind of realize that, like, all the materialistic stuff I had can just be thrown away. And I just need basics and stuff. So I was like, half the stuff I don't even use. I haven't right. touched more than half this in probably a couple of years. I don't really need it. So having to do that, honestly, kind of was refreshing for me. Absolutely, man. I agree. I agree. I think... I've had to start over like two, three times now, and, and that's kind of how it felt. You okay. know what I'm saying? And it's like, not that I miss it, but it's like, you know, we came here with nothing but like 350 euros that my dad gave me before I left. Before okay. he dropped me off at the airport, he's like, hey, here's 350 euros. Don't spend it at the mall. That's literally what he said. <laughs> and, you know, I came back here. I came out here, and it's like, I didn't have nothing. Like, not even, not even the clothes on my back. I just packed a, a suitcase with like maybe like a week's worth of clothes, you mm -hmm. know, because I was just going to wash it at my my grandma's house and all that in California. And it's just like, I wish I would have brought more, you know, so yeah. had I known. But, you know, it's, it, it definitely served a lesson and it was a, it was a great experience now, yeah. looking back. It, when, when I was going through it, it was, it was fucking tough, but it was, was what needed to happen. I agree. I, I think that something like that does help shape a lot of your current mindset and a lot of who you are now as a person. So you arrived to America, and then what was your first like taste into money, kind of? Because obviously at that point you were still very broke. Yeah. You still didn't really have a whole lot. Um, you're what sixteen, seventeen at this age. Yep. Did you immediately start working, or was it kind of just like hanging so out? So I wanted to start working immediately, because in my eyes, I graduated uh, high school in Spain, but and I was like, maybe I, I can go to college, you know, but I was 16 at the time, 17, you know, I just turned 17 in September at that point, and, 
you know, I try to go try to figure out how to get to college, but you know, my transcripts didn't transfer like on time. So they were like, sorry, you got to go back to high school. Yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) I just went through that, you know? So, uh, had to redo high school. And at that point I was like, well, fuck it. You know, I'm right now on payroll, you know, with my aunt, like I started, like we, we moved into my aunt's house here in the United States. I I have like, like uh, three different aunts. So we moved into my aunt's house here in, uh, in Mesa, Arizona. And, you know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Just I'm going I'm to do. I'm going to do with what, what, what I have. I'm going to do the best I have. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to do the best I can with what I have. Right. So went into high school. I didn't really care that much, you know. So I was like, but I'm going to play football. You know, I like to I like some sports. I played football back in Spain as well, too. So just fuck it. You know, are we so, talking about like soccer football no, or like American football? Okay, American okay. football. <laughs> yeah, back in Spain, I actually got drafted to play for the All Stars. Really? Like for the All Star team in my state, and we went to play to France and Italy and stuff. Yeah, it was great. Oh wow. Um. So so yeah. So I came here. I was like, I wanted to play football again because it was a great outlet, you know, to just get out. Yeah. You know, to get out my rage and stuff. So it was cool, you know. So I played football. Uh, you know, I kind of just got a taste into like the American. Like the American Pie, right? You know, so I, I I was fresh off the boat. I had the heavy Spanish accent, so I had a lot of attention from women. Um, you know, it was cool because I was playing football, and you know, I was like this goofball kid, you know. Um, so, but after that, you know, right after high school, it was like shit got real, you know, because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, now I don't have the excuse that I'm going to high school. I graduated with a 1.7 GPA, so couldn't even go to college. I didn't want to go to a community college, you know. I just wanted to, if I wanted to go to college, I wanted to go to a university. That didn't happen, obviously. And then, you know, my uncle was like, well, you know, it's the summer. You got to do something. Like, you can't just live here. You can't freeload. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to put you to work for one of my friends who owns a roofing company. And, dude, I can't, when I can, when I tell you that at, that at the time, I was like, I kind of felt like I was, like, slaving away because I, I technically did not have my, you know, my papers yet. Yeah. At the time. I was, I was just on a visa. So... When I started working in roofing, they they were paying me like five bucks an hour, you know, working like twelve hour days mm. doing roofing, where the average roofer at the time was making about eighteen bucks an hour, mm. you know. So I was getting taken advantage of, obviously, and then, but I was like, you know what, it is what it is. I'm still at least I, I'm I'm doing some physical work so I can stay in shape, uh, and I, you know I can spent more time there and I could just at least like pass time and then I at least I'm getting paid something you right. know, so I can save it and I can just buy like a car you know and biggest mistake that I did was that with the money that not only my mom and my grandma saved and the money that I saved I went and bought you know a 1966 Ford Mustang beautiful car had the red interiors red leather and all that kind of stuff right okay um and again, it's all—all's coming back to the value of money. I really didn't understand, right? Because I—I thought it's like, well, this is my money. I can do yeah. whatever I want with it, right? I know that grandma and mom helped me save it, but now it's my money, so I can decide what to do with it. Right? Again, spoiled kid, fucking mm-hmm. habits coming back, right? So when I bought the car, everything was great. I drove it for five days, and then something went off. Something went wrong with the engine. I take it to the to a shop and pretty much they say, well, you got to rebuild the engine because the time, the, the 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 timing belt or the crankshaft or whatever, the, one of the fucking, I'm not a great car guy to be honest with you, but, <laughs> but the timing was off, and I either have to replace the engine 
or have to rebuild it. And at the time, it was an inline six, so it is not worth like rebuilding an inline six, especially if it's in a Mustang, right? Usually, you want a V8 on it. So that right. was a, that was six cylinder, and it was an inline six, so it didn't have that much power, anyways. So the guy literally told me, "Hey, might as well just get a new engine." And a new engine at the time would probably be like you know three, four grand, maybe five grand. And keep in mind, bro, all I had saved, I spent it on this car. You know, so you're back down to nothing. Yeah, and I didn't know about lemon laws at that time either. Oh, you know, yeah. so I pretty much I got fucked, and I sold it to one of my best friend's dad for like twenty two hundred bucks. So I took a huge loss. I spent like sixty six hundred on that car, and I only got back twenty two hundred. So I got super humbled because mm-hmm. all I wanted to do was I wanted to flex in high school. Yeah, you know, I was like, hey, I'm driving a Mustang. Like that's that's what I want. Like I want to flex. You know, <laughs> I wanted to flex, and Anyways, after that, I had to just settle for a seven hundred dollars car, you know. And maybe that's the uh, that's what I should have done from the beginning. I yeah. should have just got the fucking Camry, because the remaining fifty nine hundred bucks I could have saved them. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and I could have continued to save. So that right there just taught me a huge lesson of delayed gratification, which again comes down to the value of money. You know, I just I think a lot of people just make money very quick. Um, and they don't understand the value because when it comes quick, it seems like it's easy to get. Very much. You know? So, like to tell you the truth, it took me eight years to be able to cross six figures. You know? And, you know, now looking back, it's like I've, I've made, I made a lot of money, but it took me so much. So many losses, so much time just to be able to cross that six-figure mark. Which six figures like nowadays is like six figures is nothing, right? You go to California, six figures is like the bare minimum to be able to survive, you know? Right. But just doing six figures as an entrepreneur, that's even a huge feat. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't even get there. You know, they're right. almost scratching that. You know, but that's the thing. It's like it took me eight years to get to that point. You know, and I think that's that's the biggest the biggest value lesson is that if I would have done things a little bit different and I w- if I would have appreciated the value of money a little bit more, I would have been a little bit smarter and I would have probably got to that six figures a lot quicker. You know? How do you think making that first f- six figures, how do you think it like it changed you or how do you think that it changed your lifestyle or changed who you are as a person? Well, luckily, man, because of all the losses that I've gone through and everything that I've experienced, yeah, that money didn't change me at all. You know, like... Mm-hmm. Like I'll I'll be honest. So I made one hundred and forty seven thousand in just one deal, um, and at that point, like again, the spoiled kid started to come back. Right? Yeah. It was like, go, go get the fucking AMG, you know, go get a nice Mercedes. Like just fucking blow it, bro. Yeah. Just go get a a nice, you know, AP, you know, whatever, dude. Like yeah. you can like with with that much with one hundred forty seven thousand, I could do like pretty much. Like some some good stuff. Like yeah. I, I can I can blow it right, and and then I started thinking. I was like, well, it took me eight years to get to a point that in one deal I made that much. Uh, this client took me six months in order to be able to close it and get that much. And it's like, and then I started thinking about all the all the losses that I took. I started thinking about my mom. I started to think about stewardship as well too. It's like, well, the only reason why I have this is because God allowed it to do so. You know. And because of my faith in Christ and because of, of how how good he's been he's been to me, I have the opportunity that I've made this much. You know? Right. It would not be fair and it would be very disappointing to God if I didn't do 
right by this, if I wasn't a good steward of it. You know, so I donated about like 15% of that. You know, I, I put it back into, uh, so I did church tithes and then I did about, you know, I put about 10,000 into like the care organization, which they essentially help sex traffic victims. So right off the bat, I'm starting to be a little bit smarter with the money. Not because like I'm trying to flex the charity, but I was like, okay, look, it's like, I got this. Now I can actually do some good impact on it, you know? Okay. Delayed gratification. I learned that from the first big chunk of money that I got, which was 6600 bucks at 17 years old. I bought a fucking car that didn't work. So, boom. Now I understand about delayed gratification. What if I give it back to, to, this, to the community? Hmm. Something that I can help with, you know? And then God's going to reward me later on. You know, if, I, if I'm a good steward of the money, right? That, that's the, the one thing that I, I got in my mind. It's like, okay, this money, I have to be a good steward. What does yeah. being a good steward mean? means that you're a good manager you're a good financial manager right so you know like you know exactly how to use this money the right way it's like if you're a financial advisor all he's doing is losing your money are you going to trust him of course not of course not <laughs> right so i want to act the same way if god's yeah. looking at me and he's entrusting me like i'm his financial manager or his treasurer right would he hire me again right so that's how i started to look at things that's why I still don't have an AMG. I don't have a Lambo. I don't have any other crazy thing. Dude, I'm still wearing my $800 Citizen watch. The This bracelet is 10 bucks. I got this one for 20 bucks here. The ring was $30. Like, all the chains and everything that you see, it's just like, it's stuff that I find online that's cheap, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to spend, like, crazy money on toys that I don't deserve yet, mm -hmm. you know? So my, my relationship with money has changed for the better. Especially when I got that money, I was like, okay, this is the real test. I got this money. What do I do with it now? Right? Because when you're broke, right, you're, and you're praying to God, you tell him all that stuff. I was like, God, I swear to God, like, you'll, you, you, if you give me this money, I'll donate this much. I'll make sure I, I don't spend it. Like, you, give, you start making all these promises, right? Yeah. Like, how, how good you're going to be with the money. I'll invest it. I'll give some money to my mom. Okay, now you got the money. Now what? Right. Right, and I stayed. I stayed true to my promise. Hmm. You know, I tithed. I gave back to the community. I gave my mom some money, and I didn't fucking spend the rest of the money. What I did is I reinvested it. I reinvested it into the shit that I preach, which is the IULs, infinite banking. Right, so that's I put money into that. Okay, you know, and then again, it's just like it all comes back to the same cycle. So 147 is a lot to make off of one deal. Yeah, what was this deal that you made that money off? It was a it was a cannabis so it was a cannabis deal that these these guys wanted to refinance their building uh, they wanted to get some cash out re, like they wanted to cash out refi their building because they already they owned their building outright about a hundred million dollars that's how much their building was worth but a lot of it was cannabis so um, some of the lenders they don't they don't lend against cannabis so they'll just take the real estate at bare yeah. bare bones um, so that's pretty much what we did it took us six months like going a lot of back and forth and and it's one of the largest um, Actually, I think it's the largest uh, grower here in Arizona. Okay. And I think they became the largest grower in Arizona recently. So, uh, yeah, we just got them $20 million And, you know, from there, me and my partner made 300 Okay. And then we just split that. So you went from, like, roofing and stuff with your family to, was it immediately jumping from that to, like, commercial lending and stuff like that? No, commercial lending, I've only been in it for about three years now. Okay. But my partner, John, uh, and Kara, they've been in banking for like 12 to 15 years each. 
So you know? what was the jump then to go from roofing, making $5 an hour to these other sales jobs where yep. you're making stupid amounts yeah. per, per deal? So so what happened was, so after after roofing, you know, I decided it's like, okay, so roofing is very labor, is, la- is very lab- lab- laborious, laborious, whatever. Like there's a lot of labor into it. Right. Put a lot of taxes on your body and you know you're kind of stuck like it doesn't you you're gonna work a lot harder than most people and you're not gonna make that much right so i'm thinking okay i gotta get into sales right and then i think it was like a couple years after that it's like a year after high school i got into like i got a call for an interview at this company called american income life which was life insurance and so i got a call from american income life to do life insurance sales and then from there i started that was about like almost like 10 10 years ago now oh wow okay yeah it's been a minute Right. So after that, I started, you know, just doing life insurance sales. Uh, and I, like I said, I've been doing that for like about a decade now. And what happened was, is I started, you know, because I had my life insurance business, that's uh, making good money with life insurance. And then I met John, which is my partner in the commercial lending, you know, and he told me, he's like, hey, man, like you should consider, you know, doing business funding. I was like, what the hell is business funding? Like, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, we fund businesses. Like if you have a, cre- a credit score higher than 700, this and that, or if you want to do real estate uh, acquisitions, or whatever, like you do funding. Hmm. That's a new concept. It's like, how much, I mean, like, how much you get paid? It's like, well, uh, we as a company can get paid between like one to two percent, sometimes five, sometimes ten percent of the total loan amount. It just depends on the product. What? Like, so you mean to tell me if like somebody wants like a million bucks, like you get one percent, like you make like ten thousand on that? It's like, how does that work? You know, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, no, that's exactly right. And and from there, I, I was like, I was like, dude, that's like, that sounds like too good to be true. You know, because yeah. at that point, I'm not selling anything. It's like people want money. Yeah. You know, so I was like, so how do I find these people that want to borrow money? And then he just taught me everything. And then we we, we had a master plan on on how to find these business brokers. And then, dude, all I did was I implemented what I learned from life insurance, which is like cold calling, right? Mm-hmm. And then pitching for an appointment. And then understanding what the entire pitch looks like and then closing the deal, you know? And I came to find out, cold calling for life insurance, that there's a lot of fuck yous. There's a lot of like get get lost. There's a yeah. lot of like I'm not interested, right? But when it comes to lending, you know, there's a lot of like, sure, take a look at it, you know? Or because like I didn't I didn't just cold call people. I would go on like websites like Biz Buy Sell or LoopNet where they already have businesses listed they already have projects that are you know available for financing right? right and all i had to do is just cold call those people be like hey look my name is wolf i'm calling from elevate capital and i was just wanted to reach out because i want to make sure that you have some good options for lending wise you know and my pitch at that point sucked you know so i started refining and then i started saying like hey look i saw that you have this listing here and i'd like to see if you already have a lender you know, and then I started saying, like, oh, well, you know, we know that you already currently have a lender. We don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I would love to be able to at least give you a soft quote just to see if that works, you know. And then just just like that, it started to really transition, you know. And now, you know, with the Circle Syndicate, we've been able to really, really spread our wings to be able to get a lot of different deal flow. Mm-hmm. And now the average deal size that comes to our table is, like, about $100 million. Damn. Yeah. And a lot of them are real estate. It's, like, it's it's the best industry, you know, like, you can either buy real estate, invest into real estate, or finance real estate. And in my opinion, financing real estate is where you make the most money. 
So if someone were to approach you and say, Wolf, I want to get into sales. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid to be that sleazy guy. I don't want to be sleazy, but I know that there's a decent amount to make in sales. Obviously, there's so many industries yeah. within, like sales has, like I was in sales for a while. I sold timeshare for, oh, for, shit. A, little, for a little while. Um, that was the most dishonest and the most sleazy type of sales oh, yeah. I could have ever been in. But it did teach me a lot. It taught me how to have the thick skin. It taught me how to not take a no right away. It taught me like yeah. the basics because it's timeshare is supposed to be one of the most difficult and r- like rugged type of sales to be in. Um, but then there's other things. I did financial stuff for a little while. Nice. So I've had my hand in sales a little bit, but for the longest time, I always told people I'm not into sales. I'm into marketing, which for me there's a big difference because sales is one on one. That's where like you're really trying to build that relationship. And while I love building relationships with people, I don't want to feel like there's that kind of manipulation sure. involved with making that relationship happening with like having a certain type of like oh my goal with building a relationship with you isn't genuine sure um and obviously like i've had instances where my friends were all like oh you're just a sales guy now like you're not really a friend you're just yeah. always trying to sell us on something and trying to avoid that but still being the sales kind of drove me out of sales but as you were saying earlier anything like especially as an entrepreneur anything that you get into is the sales field. Mm-hmm. You're selling something, whether it's a service, whether it's a product, whether it's just anything. Where do you think that they should start to, first of all, learn how to be a proper salesman, but also to build a decent career? Great question, man. So, well, I do a lot of sales training for my guys. So at my firm, um, right now we are hiring. Um, we don't hire everybody. I'll be very frank with you we're very very picky mm-hmm. um, if you have some sales experience great uh, but there, there's a specific criteria that we're looking for but anyways what I would say for somebody that's new and that wants to get into sales I would say you should start with Chris Voss Chris Voss is uh, the FBI negotiator who owns the Black Swan group so he's he's very famous because of, of how he he became one of the top FBI negotiators ever. Hmm. You know, so I learned a lot of stuff from him um, just because of the way that his approach to sales or negotiations is very, uh, it's called so- like a Socratic way. And the reason why it's called Socratic is because you're essentially putting your idea into your prospect's mind. Hmm. And the way that it works is like instead of you convincing them that your idea is good, you're essentially implanting your idea into their mind and they're convincing themselves that that's a good idea. So the way that he talks about it is like in a negotiation, it shouldn't be I win and you lose. It should be like I win and you win as well too. And most of the times, it's still my idea, mm-hmm. but I've came I've came to be able to instill my idea in, onto you and you've been able to logically and emotionally justify that it is a good idea. So, But because it comes from you and I'm not getting you to say yes, Right, it's like it's coming out of your own mouth, right? Yeah. So again, Chris Voss, one of the greatest, in my opinion, uh, negotiators on earth, you know. And then from there, if you want to get a little bit more pushy and more, you know, aggressive sales, and you're looking at Jordan Belfort, yeah, uh, you know, or I would say Tom Hopkins is a great, great guy as well too. But to be honest with you, man, 
if I could restart my, my journey on sales, I would probably start in solar. I would probably start in some sort of door-to-door. Hmm. Um, or honestly, dude, uh, one thing I did is I sold advertising for Yelp while I was building my business. I also sold website security for SiteLock. I made a lot of money on both, you know? And the reason why I would say, su- actually, I would suggest doing telesales, like phone sales, with a big corporation that offers you a salary because at least the salary covers your bills. Right. But then you also have the opportunity to make commission. Hmm. That's the best of both worlds, right? And then you can learn, like, you stay sharp on your toes because you're constantly on the phone. You have to be on the phone because that's that's your job, right? right. It's not you can't take days off because if you go to solar, if you go to one of these these places where they just give you straight commission and you're not used to that, guess what? Your schedule is just going to be empty. Yeah, right. But if you go to a place like SiteLock, uh, Yelp, ZipRecruiter, indeed any of these places, right, that you have to sell a package, but they also give you a a salary. That's going to be a lot more appeasing because you have at least the salary that's going to cover your bills, and then you have to show up because you have you're a W two, so you're obligated to show up, right? right? So you're gonna show up and you're gonna get the work done, or they'll fucking fire you. Yeah. Right. And then once you've learned that skill, once once you've been working there for about a couple of years, you've you've been able to save a, a nice enough nest egg. Guess what? Now you can choose to venture out and do solar. Now you can venture out and do, for example, car sales, mm-hmm. or if you got what it takes. And you want to see if if financial services is a good fit, and you can do commercial lending, you can do infinite banking. Then you can reach out to me, and we can see if you're a good fit for us. Interesting. Okay. And we'll train you everything. We'll, we'll pretty much give everybody the tools that they need to be able to do that. But honestly, there's there's in my opinion, there's nothing that beats financial services when it comes to commissions, when it comes to sales, anything like that. Because even with solar, bro, this it's like a very like grunt work type of work. Yeah. You know, and you're you got to be on the doors like eight, eight hours a day or some shit like that. And, you know, I think you can you can make more money than the solar guys, especially because with life insurance and financial services, you've got the renewals, which means you sell the product once and you get paid forever. Mm-hmm. With solar, you get paid once. Yeah. Same thing goes for real estate. You know, if you sell a house, you only get paid once. With life insurance, you get paid forever. You know, that's why we're, we're in that business. The most difficult thing, cause I, I was even looking into getting back into sales a little bit just to be able to start making a little bit of money to reinvest into things like this podcast and stuff. Sure. But the most difficult thing was the fact that like when you're going into these more high ticket sales, you have to sometimes put in a lot more work than pay at first, especially like when you're first starting, it might take a few months to get that. So like there was one company that was going to hire me, but they're like just letting you know like you're going to be pulling probably about 60 hour weeks and you're probably not going to get paid for the first like 2 months until you start making deals and I'm like well, shit, I need still money right now to eat. Yep. And they're like, well, until, like, usually people that we hire have about a three to four month nest egg yep. to be able to do that. So I feel like that's one of the biggest obstacles to be able to get into the sales, which is why that whole salary plus commission does really help. But yeah. unfortunately, there's not a lot of companies that will offer well, something like that. I just named three. Yeah. ZipRecruiter, SiteLock, and Yelp. You know, those are great companies to start, you know, and <laughs> I don't get any referrals from yeah. them. So. You guys can most definitely take a look at that, but that's that's a great place to start. You know, it's a because that, that kind of happened to me too, right? So after I left the the first insurance company, because you know there was a, a, some bullshit happening, I went. I tried to do it on my own. Yeah. I had no leads. I had to buy the leads on my own. So eventually, I ran out of money, mm-hmm. right? Because I was not as good in sales as 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 I should have been, right? So if it was now, if I try to do that now, you know, with the experience that I have right now, it's no problem. Yeah, yeah I could survive, right? I could. 
I could even thrive. But what I would suggest most people is like at least have fifteen thousand dollars saved into your bank account before mm-hmm. you actually go full time into like straight up just commission sales, right? Because again, things take take long, right? Especially if the bigger the money, like the bigger the the commission check, the longer the sales cycle, right? Like I said, this hundred and forty seven thousand dollar deal took me six months. And that's with a lot of experience behind your belt. That's yeah. not that's not just coming right out of the belt. That's you having yeah. a lot of sales experience, a lot of training, a lot of knowledge yeah. and stuff. Yeah, man. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it, man. So it's like at the end of the day, people kind of rush into things a lot. And if you don't have good money habits, it doesn't matter if you make, like I said, you make a million, you make ten, you make a hundred thousand, it don't matter. If you don't have any any good money habits, you'll blow it. You know, and the reason why people can't save fifteen thousand dollars, think about it, dude. Like I, I'm saying, save fifteen thousand dollars, and some people will be like, oh, fifteen thousand is a lot of money. Like I can't even afford it. No, that's a, that's bullshit. That's a lie. You know, mm-hmm. I was I was I was I was full time at Yelp. Make like my salary was like forty seven thousand a year plus commission, and I was paid like two thousand dollars at rent. I had my car payment. I had insurance. I had the bills that everybody has, mm-hmm. and I was still able to save fifteen thousand dollars. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because I I was putting. I was literally not going out. I was not just spending the fucking money. Um, like the little that I had, I was saving it. You know, because I had a fucking plan. I knew I wasn't going to be there for long because I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to reinvest into my business. You know what I'm saying? As someone who's financially, I guess, in, would you say you're in financially a good spot? How would you describe your relationship to money now? And kind of just your overall, when you think about money, mm-hmm. a lot of people have that scarcity mindset. A lot yep. of people have that like hoarder mindset when it comes to money. Sure. Like not they don't they want to keep it all like the show extreme cheapskates and stuff. Honestly, oh, yeah. those kinds of things make me sick. And I'm Absolutely. like, when you're thinking of money in that way, it's disgusting. Absolutely. So, as someone who has the finance financial success, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. How, like, what, what's your first lesson on money that you would give to somebody who has that kind of mindset? Yeah, so I'll give, you, I'll give you an analogy. So, for example, this phone, right? This is everything for us, right? So I can be just, like, doing this, no problem. Like, I'm cool, right? Yeah. I'm not afraid to it. Like, I'm not even looking at it. It doesn't matter, right? I know I'm not going to drop it because I'm not worried about it, right? Right. But it's because I, there's a table under it. Now, let's just say we go to the rooftop, and I try to do that over the edge. Like, I put my hands over the edge where right. there's no, like, if I drop it, it's gone. Right. Right? Now I'm, like, like fucking, like, gorilla gripping the phone. Right. Right? What is that? That's attachment. People have the same relationship with money. They have that attachment to that money. Mm. Right? They treat it like it's a, like if it's never going to come back. And I'll be honest, dude, sometimes I suffer from that as well, too. I'm not perfect. Right? So sometimes I'm like, fuck, like, I don't know if I want to spend, you know, that you know, $1,000, like, plane ticket or whatever or just right. like a $500 dinner you know and and then I started thinking about it it's like look the more detached you are from from the specific thing it almost is like the universe kind of like works into your favor or God works into your favor and it kind of just like brings you more because you you're not afraid of it mm. you're not afraid of loss the, the, the more afraid of loss of something you have the, the higher the chances they are that are, are going to happen Mm. you know like and that's kind of how I think about it is 
I'm not attached to a dog. And and by the way, that doesn't mean that to be a fucking idiot, right? right, right? right. Like it doesn't mean like, oh well, I made 147,000. I'm 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 detached from it, so I'm gonna go buy a sixty thousand dollar car cash. Like that's a dumb financial decision, first of all, right? You don't ever want to buy a fucking liability cash, first of all, right? So, but it's it's about being understanding that you know what you know about money and that you're good with it. You know that you shouldn't be fucking spending it, mm-hmm. right? But if you understand that you can reinvest it, that you understand that you're actually working for it, that you're actually working towards a specific goal, your relationship with money is like you are the master of the, of the money. Like, for example, the money that I have doesn't rule over me. You know what I'm saying? First of all, keeping money in a bank account, dumb decision. You know, mm-hmm. you shouldn't keep money in a bank account more than just like whatever your emergency fund is. But anyways, like my money is not my master. I'm its master. You know what I'm saying? Like, I tell it what to do. Most people, they let that dollar amount in their bank account dictate that. Oh, got to go out to, you know, clubbing this weekend, so I got to get a bottle. Or, you know, whatever. Like, I, I, I want to, this time, I want to, I've been eating steak for four nights in a row. I haven't really been putting work, but, you know, I want to get another steak. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's the, the money in your bank account starts to rule your decisions. Rather than you thinking logically and be like, look, okay, I understand this is what I want to do, but what have I done to deserve that? Nothing? Well, then I don't deserve it, and I'm going to tell my money to stay there. I'm not going to let it rule me and fucking seep in all this fucking fear and say, like, oh, I can't fucking spend it into this, like, advertising campaign, or I can't spend it into this little, like, like, I, I need new tires, but, you know, if I spend a thousand dollars, it's gonna take away from my thing. You know what I say, like, dude? You need new tires. You know what I'm saying? It's like you have the wrong mentality. Like you spend the money on where you, the places that you shouldn't, right. and you don't spend the money in the places that you should. Right. I think it's pretty important to get new tires because if you crash, you know, it's an even bigger loss. It's a bigger <laughs> loss, right? right? So for me, it's like stop going out that much. You know, make sure you take care of your affairs, take care of your family, and. You know, reinvest back into yourself, into your business. You know, if you if you make twenty thousand, you have twenty thousand dollars saved, then don't be afraid of going full time. You know, as long as you're not being an idiot with your money, twenty thousand should at least last you four to five months. Yeah. You know, and then from that money, then you can just go on your own and do your own thing. You know, so for me, like my relationship with money is like, it's like I understand what it what the money is at, is for right now, and I am not in a scarcity mindset. I know money is gonna come back. You know, I, especially, especially because I've been working every single day mm-hmm. and I work like eight, to 10 hour days. It's like it is impossible. Like logically speaking, it is impossible to do the actions required to get paid and then not get paid. Mm-hmm. The problem is that people quit before they get paid. They don't have the patience to be able to get there. My One of my buddies, Kane uh, from the syndicate, says this is like, if you got a wire confirmation, right? Let's just say a wire takes three days. Mm-hmm. If I just initiated a wire right now for $100,000 to you, you can check your bank account. It's not there. But you know it's going to be there in three days. How would you act? I would keep working. I exactly. Would keep, I would keep doing whatever I, I did to get that money. Exactly. You keep working. And not only just that, but it's like you know that money's coming. Right. You won't be afraid. It's like, am I going to be able to pay rent next week? Dude, the money's going to be there in three days. Yeah. Even know, if I have to pay an extra, thing. even if I have to pay extra like late fees, I don't care, dude. The yeah. money is coming. Right. 
the money is there. It's not like I'm not afraid of like, oh, is that wire going to bounce? No, if I have a wire confirmation, it means that my bank issued that wire, which means that I have the money to be able to send it to you. And that's what I think people need to start thinking about. It's like, look, act as if you have the wire. Hmm. Act as if you have the wire confirmation. You know? Interesting. When my when my partner sent me that hundred forty seven thousand, like wired me that hundred forty seven thousand dollars, like I went with him to the bank, and I only had two hundred dollars left to my name. Okay, and my partner initiated that wire right in front of me. Obviously, the money didn't post, mm-hmm. but dude, I was ecstatic. I was ecstatic, bro. I was like, "Fuck yeah, dude! We just made all this fucking money. It's crazy." Blah, blah. You know, we still get went went back to work. I didn't worry about like, "Fuck, I only have two hundred dollars in my fucking name." I don't care, dude. I got 147,000 coming. Yeah. Like, I'm good, bro. You know? So, I think that's the, that's the problem. It's like, people act like as if they're never going to get money again. And you always have to think about this too, man. Every single bad situation you've ever been, you've made it through. No matter what. That's why you're still here. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You'd be homeless in the street. So, think about that, right? Yeah. Is this the only bad situation you've ever been? No. Have you been through other stuff? Yes. Okay. Did you make it through? Yes. All right. So you figured it out. Congratulations. You can do it again. You know? Yeah. There was uh, another show that I was watching that um, one of the lessons that he wishes that he kind of knew sooner is this too shall pass. Yeah. And for me, that was a huge thing. So I was like, even on your highest of highs and your lowest of lows, this too shall pass. And for me, that was a huge game changer because, like, I've been in times where I'm like, I have $9 right now. I don't get paid for another, like, week. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, one of these days I'm going to look back and be like, damn, well, I did that. I can do anything. That's right. Um, That's right. And this too shall pass, man. So for you right now, what's your goal? <sighs> Financially, I mean, $100 million, okay. You know, this next year, that's, like, the goal is $100 million. Um, in revenue and but you know I think you know money can't only take us that far right so my my biggest goal is like I want to be able to actually do some some good excuse me um, so my strategic partnerships that I have right now are strategic for a reason mm-hmm. I have I have big goals of mine meaning like I really want to be very heavily involved in saving or at least helping as much as I can with the sex traffic victims. You know, I think there are those those kids really do need our help. On top of that, too, I think there's a lot of ways that I can impact society hmm. on an educational level. So I think right now there's there's a lot of misinformation being taught in schools and they're indoctrinating our children in many different ways. So to answer that question, what's my goal? You know, we would need another hour to talk about, <laughs> right? It, it, it's, it's such a loaded question because a goal is a finite target, right? Purpose is what drives us forever. For me, my purpose is bigger than just like, like a, you know, a check mark, right? you know, or like a target. So, well, financially, like I said, $100 million next year. That's my goal. Trying to get to 12% body fat. <laughs> yeah, that's another goal, goal okay. too. So I have, I have a lot of goals, you know. But my purpose, my purpose is bigger than that. I want to be able to actually help the world. And I just have to be careful with what I say, you yeah. know, because the powers that be, that they always listen. 
you know Absolutely. so i don't want to piss off the wrong people i have one question that i it's kind of like my closing question that mm-hmm. i try to ask everybody because of how different they can tend to be especially sure. depending on where you came from depending on what your relationship with everything is what to you is your true definition of success mm. Success to me, honestly, success to me is owning like a European style castle or chateau, you know, in like a coastal town in the Mediterranean, having seven kids and, you know, plenty more grandchildren and being able to be like live in this this huge plot of land where all my friends we live like all together in the in, in the same castle or the same you know property you know and being able to just spend the rest of our days just there okay. you know and also the presence of my family you know so that to me success i will know i will be successful i, I will know i am successful the moment I can literally just be in the same room, in the same house, in the same presence of my family and be like, I don't have to do anything right now. I can literally just be here. Mm. You know, that to me is success. Meaning like, I don't, I literally have no worries. I don't have to worry about a call that's coming up in like 10 minutes. I don't have to worry about a meeting that I have to go to. I don't have to worry about like World War Three starting. Like, you know, no matter the situation, I will know I am successful when I have that moment of mm-hmm. just peace and serenity with my family in, in a country in Europe. I like that. That's yeah. awesome. I like that. Well, Wolf, I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. I appreciate all the wisdom that you've been able to share. I know we didn't really give too much of an intro to you. Um, I'll probably give you an intro uh, once I'm kind of post-editing and stuff. No worries, man. Uh, but I know that there's probably so much more we could talk about. Absolutely, uh, But man. you're a very busy guy. And I know we've been trying to do this for like weeks now. Yeah, so I'm, I'm happy so, we get, we got the test. Yeah, um, I'm I'm really glad that we actually finally got to talk because yes, sales isn't really something that I've had a lot of people on to kind of explain, and obviously it does have its own stigmas mm-hmm. and stuff. So, thank you so much for giving me your time. I know time thank is you. the most valuable asset that we have. Thank you. Um, is there anything else that you want to wrap up with? Uh, no, man. I think it, it's just it's important to discern the purpose everybody has on this earth and just you asked me earlier about a quarter of a joke yes. and I can't do a joke just because I I'm kind of <laughs> just I'm one of those people that if I'm funny it's just like it's just going to pop out naturally but I do have one quote that's been carrying me for, for a long time which is he who worries before it is necessary worries more than it is necessary ooh right and again if you want to dissect that it's like whatever's going to happen in the future Worrying about it now, it is not going to help the situation. Whenever it happens, if it's going to happen, let it happen when it happens, right? Mm. It doesn't make any sense to worry about it like three weeks before. Like a lot of people like worrying about World War Three and all that stuff. And let's just say if it's happening in May of 2024, why worry about it now? Right. You know, it's going to happen in like five, five, fucking five months. Dude. Just like be present right now. Don't worry about what's going to happen in the future, right? So again, he who worries before it is necessary worries more than it is necessary. So. I like that a lot. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's awesome. Alex, I appreciate that, man. Yes. Thank you so much awesome. for today. Thank you, Wolf. I appreciate you. Awesome.